Hello, and welcome to Future Commerce, the podcast about next-generation commerce. I'm Brian. I'm Philip. Hey, we have my favorite newsletter author, Asia Singer, is here, and uh, she authors the expertly written For the Love, and uh, couldn't be more thrilled uh, to have such a, a, an astute and established uh, person join this show, because the Lord knows we need some of that, because Brian and I don't bring that. Welcome to the show, Asia. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. And uh, it's it's such a pleasure to have you. Um, we're going to talk about all things uh, content creation and media operation. It's something that Brian and I, you know, we're, we're trying to build for ourselves. But for those who don't know you, uh, can you just give a little intro? That's probably uh, a little uh, less of the uh, self-aggrandizing that I've just done for you. Um, Yeah. In terms of the newsletter, as you mentioned, it's called For the Love. It's about direct-to-consumer trends and branding, and I focus specifically on mission-driven companies. Uh, My background is in direct-to-consumer. I'm a creative director and a founder of brands, mostly in the fashion space, and currently working with um, direct-to-consumer brands, helping them identify, you know, figure out their brand identity and, um, with their content marketing. Very cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and you have some of the, you have the pedigree of some recognizable brands under your belt. Um, these days you're helping a lot of different brands. Um, uh, what, what's, what is, what drew you to e-commerce and direct to consumer in the first place? Uh, So I actually started my career in the fashion space in a a very traditional business in in wholesale and uh, realized how problematic it was not being able to communicate directly with your customer and how the, the chain of command between, you know, the person creating product and the end user of the product was just so convoluted. And that really got me interested in direct consumer and and being able to serve the end user of the product in, in you know a, an effective way. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, Philip just mentioned kind of your pedigree and and who you're working with now. And uh, so you're you're doing a lot of consulting now. How do you feel like that informs the content you write? Um. It. It definitely, uh, it, it definitely informs it in that I'm having a lot of conversations with a lot of different founders, whether it's uh, current clients or potential clients and figuring out what their pain points are and, you know, where they need assistance and where they have questions. And the way I approach my writing and my newsletter is to create content that is useful for entrepreneurs and founders and marketers and people in branding and, and to answer some of those questions that I and they have. Um, so, so those, the many conversations I'm having with them are, are super helpful and inspiring newsletter content for sure. Mm, yeah, I feel yeah. like just talking recently about about sort of agencies and consulting and sort of the broad look it gives us into different, totally different industries and sectors and um, access to brands and um, and just being able to sort of see see a, a broader you know a broader view of things uh, and it's really helped us be able to get a, a good sense of what's happening. Um, do you feel like do you feel like that like sort of the broad nature of what you're doing now is has given you even more perspective than maybe when you're working for a specific brand or 
Yeah, um, 100%. I yeah. totally agree with that. I was... I mean, when when I was working on my brand, I was very focused on that sector and that customer and that product. And while I was always researching and very curious and, and aware of what other people were doing, um, it's very different peering in from the outside versus having a conversation with someone on the inside of the business. Like, so many different target customers, so many different products, so many different use cases. Uh, and, and each one is individual and each founder solves problems in different ways. So getting that sort of insider insight is invaluable. There's a, it makes it so much easier to identify trends. Um, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. You get this, this broad uh, immersion into what multiple sort of what the what I would say is like simultaneous inspiration that happens in our community uh, that you know things sort of like come online all around the same time there's you know, like multiple uh, brands that are all launching similar products around the same time and you always sort of wonder like wow these all started you know their journey down this path you know around the same time many years ago just to bring a product to market it's a uh, uh, it's so interesting to see that and, and certainly the same happens in the in the tech uh, implementer space. Um, so we, we, we have this, uh, that's a phenomenon that, uh, has just fascinated me for the longest time. Um, I remember Ellie Weissel has said, uh, had, he had this quote, uh, I write to understand as much to be understood. And that's something that like constantly, uh, comes to mind when we're writing pieces, you know, we write two pieces a week at future commerce and it's, it's like a grind, Brian can attest. Um, <laughs> but it's a lot. It's a lot. We've probably learned more in the last year, you know, in writing with such frequency than than we've learned uh, in you know years of interviewing people on the podcast. Do, do you feel like did you set out to to achieve something in particular when you started writing the newsletter? Did you write for yourself? I'm, I'm curious how you sort of landed on for the love as a way to express the things that were in your head. Yeah, part of it was because I had previously been so heads down in my business and had all of these ideas and also questions that I wanted to dive into. And uh, I wanted to get some practice writing. That was just a very sort of practical element of starting the newsletter. And the consistency of it was important because I find it difficult to... And and the accountability, I would say, too. Mm. Because if I were just you know, deciding that I was going to set aside time to think deeply about these things for six hours or, you know, 12 hours, however long it takes me in the week, I would be much less likely to follow through on that if I didn't feel mm. accountable to publish uh, the newsletter. I think that's so true. The discipline and sort of the schedule. So you you write on a schedule as opposed to like kind of when you feel like it or like... Tell yeah, I, yes, I haven't been so good at it the past month, but in general, I um yeah, the uh, weekly is is the goal. And I there are some incredible newsletters, uh some of my favorites where the authors just publish when they feel they have something to say. To say, and yeah. I I find that really admirable. I just don't think I would do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's Yes. Yes, it's really hard because you know you have to f- feel like you you want to get it right, 
as opposed to complete it. Um, and there's a real <laughs> there's a real writer's challenge there. I guess that's the challenge pretty much when you're putting out anything is like the com- the done versus you know done well <laughs> sort of conundrum. <laughs> um, yeah, and when you're I, on a schedule, you just have to get it done. <laughs> I am totally a perfectionist, and I could I could work and rework something infinitely if given the opportunity so it's true it's true i i feel the same um or what happens is uh we work and work and work on something and then i realize i kind of hate this now and no one's no one's gonna see this (laughs) (laughs) i've i've found every flaw there is to find uh that means there's no work for anyone else left to do um i i I guess sort of subscribe to the rat tattooey you know sort of mentality around um you forgive me, I have, you know, two school age kids. Uh, and so like my life is basically Pixar and Disney princesses. Um, but there's, you know, this sort of the mantra, anyone can cook. And that just, that completely, uh, I think that that mindset that anybody can write, anybody can, uh, communicate, uh, especially today when it's, it's easier to, to try to connect to an audience with something like Substack than, than it has ever been. Um, really just has it has everything to do with you just getting enough reps and and having you know uh the accountability to keep producing the content to become good and you you could you could you become a prolific writer if you have enough at bats if you will anyway a lot of mixed metaphors there but i i think anybody really can and um it's it's interesting how long have you been writing the newsletter because i i feel like i only discovered it in the last five or six months um not so much longer than that maybe eight months Mm. something like that and i to your point about anyone being able to to become a a writer i actually was english was my worst subject in school and was convinced i was not a good writer and Mm. um so part of that you know part of me deciding that i needed to get this this practice um was kind of overcoming that hurdle of thinking that i was a you know not not a superb writer <laughs> um but it does it just it takes practice and and sort of just taking that risk and and leaping in and for me also leaving behind the ideas of what writing was in school like in high school mm-hmm. the, the, the rules around how you write an essay and how you write your thoughts um for me, it works better just to write as I speak and and think. If yeah. English was your worst subject, I'm even more intimidated by you. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, before I went into um, went into design and, and brand, I went to school for anatomy and cell biology. I was like all science and math. Thought I was going to medical school, and um, very much missed being creative and and kind of switched my my path after uh my degree there's uh i i i love this the the concept of like it really just has to come down to like there's there's various mediums but just comes down to this thing brian's been talking about quite a bit lately which is discourse and it's uh opening up a conversation and there's something that I found in For the Love that I, I, I and I certainly have seen it in other uh, publications, uh, another sort of like infrequent published uh, uh, publication, Chips and Dips uh, from uh, from Emily Singer's, um, another one uh, that I think is, is actually quite uh, 
uh, powerful in this way. You ask a lot of questions and you're not necessarily giving a lot of prescriptive advice. And that I feel like we have such a, a an oversupply and an overabundance of prescriptive advice. Do this and X will like do X and Y will happen. Uh, increase your conversion rate. Focus on retention. And I, I feel like I don't get a lot of that in For the Love. It's more like exploring the the why of something. Yeah, I guess is that intentional? Is that something that you set out to do? Are you trying to be more prescriptive? Uh, I. I don't think there is a right or wrong answer in strategy and brand. I think every every company and every customer needs to be addressed in its own way. And so in in the context of the topics that I am talking about, which is like strategy, brand, community, those types of things, I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong answer. So I take the approach of here's someone doing some doing a particular thing very well. So how are they doing that? And what are some of the ways that could translate to other businesses? Um, I think, yeah, I think in those, in those areas of a business, it's difficult to say this, this will convert in this exact way or this won't. Um, and also the, the questions are, are because I am curious, you know, I, I don't think of myself as the authority on all of these topics. I am trying to learn about them. And so I'm having these conversations and, and trying to convey that as best I can. That's really interesting because it, I think it does sort of play into what Philip was, was sort of referring to before, which is discourse. And that is sort of, it's it's sharing experience and sharing ideas um, and being able to say, hey, this is what we've seen, or this is, an, this is the thought process that we've had, like, and, you know, and being able to, or, or saying, hey, I'm seeing this in this situation, like, what do you see about this situation? And so uh, being able to have, like, being able to express uh, that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's part of discourse is not just listening, but also sort of, you know, asking questions back and expressing ideas and sort of this, this back and forth. And so I think you do that really well, um, sort of to Philip's point, um, being able to, uh, not just say, Hey, like, this is what works, but Hey, like, this is something that we're seeing. What do you think about that and how it might apply to you? Um, and I think mm-hmm. that, uh, to Philip's point, like, currently in D2C media, this, you know, this often uh, isn't the case, you know, on, you know, on Clubhouse and other places, you know, it was a lot of like, hey, here's 15 tricks about how to get your business, you know, going or, or to improve this particular part of it. Um, and, and, you know, the, and there's D2C, a place for those things. Right? Yeah, there like, is. There just, is. No, 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 no. want to just dog on it. But yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I, I And I actually, I mentioned that at the end of the article that where I talked about discourses, like, hey, like there's practical there's practical side of this. Like you have targets to hit and you have to make your numbers. And sometimes you just need a way to get, get to the next number. Um, but no, but back to my, my point in sort of saying that is like D2C media is a funny place right now. Um, and you're very, 
you're very much a part of it, Asia. What, what, you know, what's your sort of take on, on D2C media right now? Like what, who, who's got interesting things to say? Who's being missed by the general crowds that's maybe not getting as much attention as they should get? Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate, thank you for saying that I'm part of DTC media. I, um, <laughs> I love that. That's, <laughs> that's great. I, to, to your earlier point, I agree, especially on Twitter, I find a lot of people make these kind of blanket statements and, and because of the format of Twitter, you can get away with, with one authoritative sentence and nothing to back it up. And I, I, I often find that problematic, especially coming from people that maybe don't have the experience um, to inform those, those types of decisions. That being said, there are so many people that are sharing valuable things and work really hard to share valuable things. I think direct-to-consumer media, the direct-to-consumer space is similar to many others where like it is often dominated by white men and then there mm-hmm. are there are also white women and less so people of color um i th- i think a lot of work needs to be done sort of sort of everywhere not not just direct consumer mm. um it, twitter is interesting for me because i really didn't use it until s- around the time that i started my my newsletter and I had sort of an attitude about it where it was a place where there was a lot of negativity and just didn't seem interesting to me. And then once I, once I started using it actively and connecting with people, I saw what an incredible resource it can be and how, you know, this discourse can happen and, and conversations have been sparked that have inspired my newsletter and those kinds of things. Um, and same with Clubhouse, like it has it has its issues, but <laughs> I have had some interesting conversations on there too. And I think this kind of broad access to knowledge um, is, you know, is generally a, a great asset. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> I, 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 Brian was trying to get you to name names, but I like the way that you approached the. Uh, <laughs> I like the way that you you like. Have you had media training? It's good. <laughs> um, uh, there's there's something to be said about the the brands that you choose to spotlight. Um, recently, you covered Thousand Fell, uh, which really. Um, stood out to me i think within that same article you had a mention of four days and four days uh was a brand that we looked very closely at that came up uh, repeatedly when we were doing our nine by nine uh brand study last year um what an exhaustive report that was too and we you know we had this whole uh we created a, an algorithm a scoring mechanism um looked at you know over 280 brands uh we wrote 81 pages of content around why these brands and why this list and um because who needs another top 10 list of brands that do random things? Um, uh, so, so we wanted there to be a purpose as to why we would even put this piece together. Um, four days, like barely fell off the list. But it, when you look at what the, the, the promise of four days or thousand fell is, um, there's a, a hidden challenge in there. Like you could be extremely, if you were reductive on Twitter, you could say, oh, well, you just need to have 
you know, a closed loop supply chain and just make products that, you know, are, are in a circular economy. That's, that's what customers want. That's, you know, that's all. Oh, is that all? Oh, it's, it's actually like an insane amount of innovation on the product side. Um, and in the supply chain to actually enable that. And I, I think it, it can be super reductive to say, well, you know, oh, well, why don't you just create a resale marketplace? That, that's easy, right? Um, and that's where I think some of the, the, the uh, actually celebrating the achievements of what brands like this have done, like it just falls to the wayside of like, it's actually insanely difficult to do what they're purporting that they do. Um, and, 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 and it gets reduced down to a tweet, right? It's, uh, so that's a thing that I, I think you do really well in the newsletter is sort of explain the why, um, um, or maybe I'm, I'm sort of teeing you up to maybe talk a little bit more in depth about that in that interview that was on, uh, with thousand fell. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. And I, I don't even have the bandwidth to dive into all of the things that deserve to be talked about. like even the logistics of figuring out how to get product to customers is one thing. And then how do you get it back? How do you recycle it? How do you, like there's so many steps to that process and so much complexity um, that it is, it, it is not helpful to tell a company you should do this. And something that I love about Thousand Fell and and was really interesting to me is that they are developing, they're they're working through that supply chain and trying to help other. The intention is to help other brands do it as well, and and I find that really interesting. You know, like Allbirds developing these new materials and allowing other brands to you know to access that technology. I think, especially in this space of sustainability, thinking about it more broadly and not just within the confines of how do I do this for my brand and my customer and just move myself forward and, and you know, our company forward. How do we do that in a broader way? And hmm. it, it goes along with, um, something I talk, another thing that I talk about a lot and I'm really interested in, which is community building and, and how do we create these connections and, and move society forward in a way that is positive and not only for the purpose of profit. And, you know, I, I get very excited when I see companies doing that. So do we, uh, I think, uh, it would be really interesting. I'd love to hear a little more about your thoughts on community. Um, and with that, maybe uh, it sounds like that's a theme that you explore when you go, you know, feature a company in in For the Love. And so uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about your process for like what you're looking to do when you engage with with someone that you want to feature. Like, what does that process look like? What What are some of the markers that you're looking to highlight? Like, how do you go about um, creating this amazing content that you create? Uh, so sometimes it'll just be, I think this brand is interesting. I want to talk to the founder. <laughs> and nice. that it's a super open-ended conversation. And 
you know, I kind of then through asking questions and learning about their business, see what part of it could be interesting or helpful. I try to ask questions through the lens of like, how could this be useful for my readers who are founders in the venture capital space in branding and in marketing. Um, so I try and get information. For instance, let's take, let's take community. As you said, on Twitter, you could be very, I, I could be, you know, sort of very blunt about it and say, yes, every brand needs community, but that's not helpful to anyone. <laughs> because how the, then the question is, how do you, how do you build community? Why should people come here? How do I make a space that people want to engage with and, and will be excited to be part of? So those, those are the questions I try and ask something that's a little more tactical and, and, you know, how did you do this and how do you think other people could do it as well? And, and why do you think this is working? Hmm. It's really good. What's, what's, what's great is this, it comes from a place of experience and that your, you know, your own experiences are informing the way that you're, uh, you know, I don't want to say critiquing, but the way that you're examining uh, these, you know, why the, the sort of the why a brand should exist or what, you know, again, coming back to the uh, this series that Brian's been uh, writing about in uh, Future Commerce Insiders, which is the sort of philosophy and psychology um, of a brand and, and sort of the philosophical implications of the answering the why something should exist. And, uh, so what do you, what about your own experience or like, let's say, you know, in, in your past life and, and, uh, working in as an operator and direct to consumer, uh, you know, is there an element of you writing for who that person was, who Asia was then, and sort of the thing that you felt like would have been necessary or, or something you would have told yourself in that place, or is that too existential? No, it's, it's totally accurate. I, feel like a lot of the information available about direct-to-consumer companies is around fundraising. And you can find the playbook for, you know, how how to go about fundraising, who to reach out to, and, and you know, that kind of storyline is told again and again. But as far as sort of more tactical information and deeper information, it, it's not readily available and and would have been very useful for me at that time and i think you know another thing is that i came from a a small company with a very small team so i had experience in a lot of areas of the business and had my hands in every area of the business so that has made it easier for me to to ask the right questions to understand how these how certain things impact other areas of the business and and what what is actually impactful that spurs are, another line of thinking for me philip go ahead and ask your follow-up questions I'll, I'll i'll pursue this next thread after you're done uh, i was <laughs> i was gonna switch gears and just ask oh, okay like if if you have all of those if, if now you have this uh, experience where it's not you know You've been in a lot of roles as an operator in at a brand. Uh, you've worn a lot of different hats, so to speak. Um, now you're seeing you have the benefit uh, in through a consulting lens to see a bunch of different brands. 
Uh, I'm curious if there's, you know, uh, something that you see, there's like the mistakes or, or like uh, 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 blind spots. That's the word I'm looking like blind spots that you see uh, that you immediately go to, to try to help other brands and operators avoid. Like what are, what are some of those things that you look for? What are things they find are pretty challenging for brands today uh, that are a commonality or like a common denominator across all of them? Well, I think firstly, when you are, you are a founder or part of, you know, a, a small startup, it, you can, it can be very myopic. Like you are thinking very specifically about your business and your customer. And it's incredibly helpful to have insights from other brands. So I think, you know, that, that alone was certainly a blind spot of mine. And I think probably a lot of, a lot of other, you know, early stage founders. Um, and then a lot of the work that I do now is really defining, defining who the customer is and defining very clearly how you, you know, what the problem you're solving and how you are solving it. And then translating that into, you know, every sort of outward facing element of the brand. And I think, again, when you are, when it is kind of your baby, you have, you have this specific idea of what you think it should be and, and what you, what you want it to be. And, you know, sometimes the customer that you think you have is not the actual customer that you do have. So Mm. it's helpful. um, It's helpful to have someone like myself or, or another consultant to come in and kind of bring that outward facing perspective um, so validate assumptions and challenge, uh, challenge, uh, preconceived notions, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. A lot exactly. of what people are looking for with, with, uh, with fundraising. <laughs> um, interesting. Uh, I, I was going to ask a really similar question, Philip, but sort of the, the flip side of that. So you're, you know, you're getting a really broad perspective. Uh, you, you, and I, as you were talking, uh, uh, just a few minutes ago, I started to think like you—you you have a really interesting spot that you're in because um, I think you've been out on sort of the, the front line of commerce, having had you know been a part of a really small brand and and having you know uh, this broad view now of of many brands and and, and sort of the with the profiles that they do. Innovation is a is a word that was pretty hot for a while, um, and obviously this is future commerce. We talk a lot about what is next and what's coming, and like where things are headed. And so, oftentimes, you know, I I think about people that are going to go get, to fundraise and what they say differentiates their brands and why they should be invested in, um, and. Uh, I would be curious what you feel like actual, like meaningful, like next steps are for brands right now. Like where are things headed? Is it, you know, I think we see a lot of like similar aesthetics these days and there's some clear trends there. And um, is that actually innovation? Like what actually sets a brand apart and what will set a brand apart coming up? 
Yeah, this is a this is a great question and something I think about a lot because I actually love I I love being a founder and starting a business. So I I have been I'm like always sort of curious as to what maybe my next business would be. <laughs> and and I agree, like something needs to be meaningfully different to to be relevant, you know. Like I don't I don't want to spend my time building something that is just another product that maybe looks a little different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, we spoke before about material innovation and, and supply chain innovation. Those I think are, are meaningful things or a product that, you know, is, is either different from what's out there or more accessible. I, something that's very interesting to me is that, uh, so many, there are so many great, especially food and beverage brands right now, and, and so many really inspiring uh, direct-to-consumer brands that are all kind of vying for the same customer and are all around the same price point. And something that would be interesting to me is a brand that is more accessible to a larger population of people. Yes. You know? <laughs> Um, the, the people that are underserved and especially when it comes to food, I, I don't even, I never see commercials anymore. So I don't know why I I saw a commercial the other day, but it was like, it was for McDonald's and a full happy meal was like for $4. And I was like, you can what buy two apples for $4. Like, Mm -hmm. how do we, how do we get better product and, and, you know, more nutritional product to people at that price point? And like, that is, that is a huge problem to be solved. Um, and, you know, in so many different ways. So that's, that's think, another area <laughs> that I'm thinking about. I think that's really, really insightful. Um, and especially like in, in the place that we're in right now, uh, you know, coming out of the pandemic or hopefully coming out of the pandemic, it looks like my state might head back. We're, we're, we're backsliding right now, potentially, hopefully not, but, um, coming out of the pandemic, uh, we're, we, you know, we've been looking at this case shaped recovery and it's something we've talked about significantly. Um, what, what that means for experiences and products and brands right now is that I think there's a lot of stuff that's targeting sort of the upper end of the middle and a lot of innovation has happened there. Um, a lot of, you know, over the past five years, especially in D2C, um, looking at brands like Parade, um, who we had on the show not long ago, who are uh, like calling themselves D2C 3.0 or <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, I'm still figuring that out. Um, but that the, I think that what I really, really liked about Parade and I, I'm really interested in is making sort of the the sort of premium brands that we've seen in in past be more accessible to a broader broader audience uh price point wise and i think so i do believe that you're you're absolutely on something right now for the next wave of innovation in d2c it's broad market appeal i think that's, and that's huge it's the mall brand right it's the resurgence of the mall brand if parade had been launched you know, if Cami and Jack had, had launched Parade in 1992, it would be Wet Seal. Um, and I'm, I mean, <laughs> now they'll tell you that the story is Fabric Platform, Lululemon, Overseas Ship. Um, like there's a lot of 
interesting ways that they've sort of positioned the brand. Um, that I think it is actually pretty interesting, but the, at the end of the day, it's like affordable intimates, um, with inclusive sizing and incredible inclusive marketing. And really, I think differential influencer strategy, I think those are the things that are the people, like people are seeing those things and not the fabric innovation. Um, Right, that's the thing that they're that they're they're gleaming onto. It's like, oh, I can afford this. I mean, I I don't know if you know forty dollars for for you know for four pairs of underwear is affordable, but it's more affordable than what we've seen from you know the likes of say like Lively. Um, so it's definitely heading in a certain direction. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, Asia. Um. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's also we are now seeing, you know. Gen Z founders, these, you know, how old is Cammy? Like 23 or 24? In her early 20s. And I think there is a real desire to make things that their people's friends and contemporaries can actually buy. <laughs> and and yeah. accessibility is is much more a priority now. I mean, even on the most superficial level. You take the millennial Instagram aesthetic, which is very polished and aspirational versus TikTok, which is just realistic and sometimes sort of ugly. And I think that that mindset translates in a, in a lot of ways where it's like more, more realism is, is what people are looking for now mm. and what people want. And, you know, it's, it's not cool to, to spend more money than you have just to look like you have it. Whereas you know, 10 years ago, like that was, that was the goal. Um, well, that's the, that's to your point, Asia too, is that like, is the millennial Henry really, uh, uh, really to be considered a high earner when, you know, they're spending $40 on truffle hot sauce and $350 on candles. Like at, at it's like you're basically in like you're 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 back in the lower middle class in the way that <laughs> direct to consumer spending has co opted most of your income, um, uh, which is I think itself it's like a whole other uh, topic of conversation. This but is I, worth yeah. an article. This is worth an article. <laughs> yeah, I I agree, and I I think I don't know if I read this or it was part of a conversation. Like part of that is that. A lot of millennials have decided that homeownership is just not even nearly attainable and are not saving for those types of things. So like you might as well spend money on things that you can actually enjoy and purchase, which, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, I like guess... Like Dogecoin. Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I guess what what makes more sense is can we provide premium product to people without a premium price tag. And I think that was the original intention of direct to consumer. Mm. Um, and then when digital advertising became less affordable, that dream kind of drifted away and, and founders are, are sort of re looking at how to solve that problem. now. Isn't it so funny that it's something I've said on Twitter a lot, but I don't know if I've ever said it on the show, Brian, correct me. Uh, the original promise of e-commerce and direct-to-consumer in, in the early aughts was like products cost more because there's so many middlemen, mm-hmm. right? And and it's like, we're removing the middleman, which like made so much sense to a consumer. It's like, well, we ship direct from the factory. Like we, we don't go through distributors, you know, it doesn't have to go through a retailer. There's not people adding margin along the way. Um, it's a more efficient way of doing business. 
So we, we pass the savings to the customer. E-commerce in the 2020s is literal only middlemen. Like that's the whole, <laughs> the whole story. Like Shopify middleman, Stripe yeah. middleman, uh, you know, uh, four layers of shipping labels, shipping uh, 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 rates. Uh, the carrier is like only middlemen all the way down. It's kind of fascinating. So instead <laughs> of like three, we have like a hundred. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's actually more middlemen now. People are saying like retail stores are the actual like it's the better way to go. Like if you like watch any of these people on Twitter and they've come all the way around to like no 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 wholesale is where it's at. Wholesale strategy is where it's at. Like right. Yeah. Yeah. It was like I feel like the Warby Parker guys at the beginning was like we would never have a brick and mortar. That's like ridiculous and then you know they were kind of the first to be like "Hmm, maybe we'll give this a try but it's marketing you know it's it's and it is framing things through a different lens and and things have changed a lot since um you know traditional retail and traditional brick and mortar were successful and and we've seen a lot of businesses go bankrupt not necessarily entirely because of the pandemic so like this shift is necessary but again it's like it's not being prescriptive. Like you, we don't have. No one has the answer. Everyone is trying mm-hmm. things out and figuring out what works for what works for them. There's this That's- criticism that was leveled at Google for the first ten years, which is you know every Google product had beta on it. I don't know if you remember that era. Um, I'm old enough to remember uh, everything. Like even Google Search was beta, and. Uh, for a modern enterprise, uh, you know, in 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 back in those days, it was like, well, we don't use Google anything because it's not a real product yet. They're still a startup. How can we rely upon it if it's a startup, right? And I think like startups have become so pervasive and certainly world changing in the world of tech that uh, we forget for a second that well, Away is a startup, and Outdoor Voices is a startup, and like these are startups, and it's really hard to depend on them when they haven't really come. I mean, for all intents and purposes, out of beta yet, they're still finding product market fit. They're still finding the message that resonates and what works today may not work tomorrow. Um, and for a consumer who puts their trust in a particular brand or product, that maybe uh, it helps to remind yourself from time to time, hey, this company has been in business for three years. <laughs> like they're, yeah, they're still figuring some things out too. Yeah, yeah I think all the all the marketing and, and spending behind them sometimes convinces consumers that that it is a a well-oiled machine when in fact yeah. it is not yet. Um, but power to them for making people believe that. It's it's funny when you speak. I Brian, I'm I'm a uh, there's a, a pretty stark contrast between a founder that we'll have on the show that's just come out of fundraising mode and how aspirational they speak and how how large the opportunity is to the bootstrapped founder. Right. And they're, and they're, uh, very extremely pragmatic and it's all about slow and taking their time. And there's like, no, there's no bombast to the, uh, to it. It's, it's actually quite, you know, uh, uh, if anything, you want them to be a little more, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you want them to be a little more, um, uh, optimistic about, you know, the, the trajectory of the business. Um, and I think that's just, a, a like you said, Asia, uh, part and parcel of sort of the way that uh, finance and capital has sort of shaped the way that this industry has, has sort of become. Brian, I, sorry, uh, you, you were, you were about to say, and I had cut you off. 
No, I have no idea. Oh, that was a really oh. good comment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Asia, I, I'd love to bring you back on the show for just a, a normal sort of news roundup episode. I'd love your perspective on the world around us. What's what's the things that's caught your eye recently? Anything that you're keeping an eye on? Um, do you own any Dogecoin? Um, what's, what's, what is, what's your, uh, what are the things that you're thinking about as you write your next issue, uh, for the love? Um, well, there has been so much discourse around the, the new roaring twenties. And mm. so I have been, I don't have any answers on this yet, but I have been thinking about how that, that translates to branding specifically and how, maybe aesthetics or will be moving forward um after this after this time of sort of seriousness um and i as i said the community is is consistently interesting i was speaking to this founder the other day and an upcoming in uh, an upcoming article will be kind of about all of the ways that she has really integrated customers into her business and how they have become employees and have informed so many parts of the business. And, and that is super interesting to me and very much, very much in the, the price mindset. I'm really looking for companies that, um, that are targeting a different type of customer and what that looks like and, and how they do it. So those are those are some things that are on my mind right there. Where can people subscribe to the newsletter? At asiasinger.substack.com. Cool. We'll link it up in the show notes as well. Uh, such a joy to have you on the show. Thank you for Absolutely. joining us. It was fun. <laughs> uh, we promised we would team up. It only took three months to happen, but we finally get, got it on the books. And uh, I hope it doesn't take another three months to get you back on again. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thank you so much, Asia. Thanks for thank listening you. to Future Commerce. Remember, you can get this wherever podcasts are found. More episodes of this show and uh, and our sister show, Stairway to CEO, are found at futurecommerce.fm. And uh, would you take two seconds? It will take two seconds, I promise. Uh, and uh, and give us a five-star on iTunes uh, and leave us a review. That'll help us out and uh, help more people find the show. And uh, we got our new quarterly report coming out uh, in partnership with Gladly and, uh, and Stella Connect. It's called Services, the New Storefront. It'll be out in about a week's time. And hey, how can you how can you get on the list to make sure you're the first to get it? Go to futurecommerce.fm slash subscribe and uh, sign up for uh, notifications so that you don't miss uh, when our new research drops. Uh, thank you for listening to Future Commerce and we'll see you next time. <laughs>